everyone, and welcome to Myth in the Mojave, a weekly half hour of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important to our lives today. I'm your personal mythologist, Catherine Svela. I live in Joshua Tree, and I'm pleased to bring this program to the high desert and beyond here on Radio Free Joshua Tree. Today I want to tell you part two of the story of Percival and his quest for the Grail. Now you might recall in the previous program that this is a story, at least so far, about a very naive young man who was brought up by his mother, very protective mother, in the deep forests of Wales. And this young man has a chance encounter with five knights and he's never seen anything like this. Anything, he's never seen anything so amazing. And he's so inspired by this that he goes home. He tells his heartbroken mother that he's leaving to become a knight. And he goes off in search of King Arthur. When he finds the king, he discovers that the kingdom's in big trouble. It's threatened by a very aggressive knight in red armor, among other things. But Percival doesn't understand any of this, and after an awkward interaction with the king, he leaves, pledging to go and get the red armor from that knight for himself. So let's pick up the story there. When Percival left the king's castle, he rode straight out in the direction of the red knight, who was waiting for him at the edge of the forest. Unbeknownst to him, a page from King Arthur's court followed behind because he was very curious to see what might transpire between these two. When the Red Knight saw Percival ride up, he laughed. Ho, he says, you're the one King Arthur sent, I suppose. And Percival said, well, actually, King Arthur told me that I can have your armor. Well, is that so, said the knight. And he set the golden cup that he'd stolen down on a slab of gray stone. And uh, so tell me, boy, uh, who's going to take it from me? You? Are you mocking me? Percival said. Now you take off your armor, and that's an order. I'm not going to wait around all day. Well, so now the red knight was angry, too. And he raised his lance, and he hit the boy really hard in the shoulder, almost knocked him off of his horse. And Percival, furious, took one of his sharpened sticks and threw it at the Red Knight and just so happened to hit the knight right in the eye, and he killed him. The Red Knight just fell over backwards, dead, right off of his horse. Percival got off of his pony, and he moved the knight's weapons, and he started tugging on the helmet and the armor. And he really wanted this red armor, but he had never seen such a complicated set of clothes, and he couldn't figure out how to get it off of the body. He was wondering if he should just cut off the knight's head when this page stepped forward and said, Excuse me, but um, can I help you? And Percival said, yes, well, King Arthur gave me these weapons and this armor, but I I don't know how to get at it. And the page said, well, let let me show you. And so he, of course, removed the armor and the weapons from the dead knight, and he started to help Percival put them on. 
And he noticed that Percival was going to put this this fancy armor on over his homespun clothes that his mother had made him and tried to get him to take the silk tunic that the knights usually wore underneath their armor. But Percival would not do it. My mother made me these clothes, he said, and they're much better than those fancy things. So thank you very much. Well, so then once Percival was all suited up, he got on to the Red Knight's fine war horse, and he said to the page, okay, you know, for helping me, you can have my pony, and um, and here, you know, take this gold cup, I guess, take it back to the king. Well, when the page went back to King Arthur and told the king and the court what had happened, they couldn't believe it. Gosh, said the king, I, I wonder who that was. It's too bad that he ran off before we could find out his name or give him any kind of training or anything, because now he's armed, but he's also unschooled and either very brave or very foolish, and he's certain to be killed. Meanwhile, Percival was riding on through the forest, and he came to the edge of a plain that was bordered by a big river. And so he rode along the bank of the river until he came to a cliff, and there was a very fine stone castle, beautifully built, with a moat and a drawbridge. And the drawbridge was down, and there was a distinguished-looking nobleman walking on the drawbridge. And he stopped when he saw Percival and waited for the young man to ride up to him. Percival came up to him and said, Good sir, as my mother taught me to say, Blessings on you, brother. And the nobleman thought to himself, Hmm, he seems a little bit simple, but he smiled at Percival and said, And where have you come from? Why, King Arthur's court, Percival said. And why were you at the court? asked the nobleman. Well, said Percival, the king made me a knight. Oh, really? (laughs) said the nobleman. Hmm, I'm kind of surprised with all the trouble that he's got going on. And where did you get the armor? Oh, that was a gift from the king, said Percival. And then he told the man about how he had defeated the Red Knight. I see, said the nobleman. So tell me, my friend, do you know how to uh, manage your horse? Well, I can make him run up and down, if that's what you mean, said Percival. I see, said the man, and what about your armor? Oh, I I know how to take it on and, I mean, take it off and put it on. I I watched a page take it off of a dead knight, said Percival. Okay, said the man. Well, um, and, and why are you here? Well, sir, Percival said, my mother told me that I should look for noble men who could advise me. Well, that's good advice, said the man, but is there anything else that you want, like maybe a place to sleep tonight? Oh, yes, said Percival. I I, I need lodging for tonight. Can I stay here? And the nobleman said, gladly, I'll be happy to put you up. And, you know, could I show you a couple things? Would you mind getting off of your horse and and letting me put on your armor? And so Percival got off of his horse, and he took off the armor, and he kind of st- he stood there in those clumsy clothes of his. But the nobleman didn't say anything, and he put on the red armor, and he got on the horse. 
Now watch closely, he said. I want to show you a few things. And so he demonstrated then how to properly hold the shield and the lance and how to command the horse. And he did all of these amazing moves and maneuvers that knights, of course, need to know. And when he stopped, he rode up to Percival. Percival said, oh, that was fantastic. I really want to learn how to do that. And so the nobleman got off, and they changed places, and Percival got up on the horse, and he went out, and he started doing what he had seen the nobleman do. And from the moment that he started handling that shield and spear, it was clear that he was a natural. He moved as if he had been doing this training all of his life. And when he finished his practice, he rode up to the man, and he said, Did I do it right? Do you think I could be good at this if I tried really hard? And the man said, oh, yes. I think if you have the heart for it, then you will learn everything that you need to learn. Well, so they went back and forth three times. And every time the nobleman showed Percival something new about his equipment and the armature of of knighthood. And then finally, it was time for a meal. And they went and they sat down and ate together. And the man said, you know, you're welcome to stay here longer. I can teach you a few more things. And Percival said, well, I'm in kind of a hurry. You know, I don't know how far I am from my mother's house, but I really, I need to leave tomorrow at dawn because she wasn't really looking so good the last time that I saw her. But you know what I I would like to know? What is your name? My mother told me that I should always get the name of my companions. And the nobleman said, well, my name is Lord Gornamont. So they went to bed, and the next morning, Gornamont came to see the boy off, and he gave him the silk and linen clothes that were supposed to go underneath the armor and convinced Percival to wear them. And then he bent down and he attached a spur to the boy's right foot. And he stood up and he belted on the sword. This is how knighthood is conferred, he said. And as a knight, you are now sworn to honor. So now I'm going to give you a little bit of advice. This is how a knight behaves. When you engage in combat... Never kill an unarmed knight who asks for mercy. Always come to the aid of women. Go to church and pray for blessings and and protection. And you know, one other piece of advice for you. Don't talk too much or ask too many questions. My mother gave me the same advice, said Percival. Oh, and one more thing, said Gornamont. You know, it doesn't bother me that you mention your mother all the time, but I think you should stop doing that. Stop saying that she's your teacher because that makes you look kind of foolish. Well, what should I say then? Percival asked him. Well, you can always say, Gornamont answered, you can always say that the man who gave you your spur taught you well. And on that, they said their goodbyes and parted. 
and Percival rode quickly through the lonely woods, a little bit worried now about how long he'd been away from home. Well, he rode for quite a while, and he came to another clearing, and then he saw a great walled city with a castle, surrounded by empty fields, and on one side was the sea. And the place seemed abandoned, burned out, unkempt. But he rode up to the city, and all of the gates were closed. Everything was locked up tight. So he knocked, and he knocked, and he knocked, and he knocked, and he called out. And finally, a very pale young woman appeared at the window. Friend, Percival called up to her, I'm a young knight in need of lodging. I ask that you take me in. Well, the young woman looked at him for a second and said, Well, we'll offer you what hospitality we can, but you might be sorry that you stopped here. And then she disappeared. Well, so Percival waited for a while. And finally, four soldiers came. And they very quickly opened the gate, gestured for him to come in, and hurriedly locked it behind him. And as they walked through the city, to get to the castle, Percival noticed that there was just no sign of life. There weren't any merchants, there were no bells ringing, nothing. And when they got to the castle, he saw that that was also in a state of disrepair, and the soldiers helped him dismount and take off his armor and everything, but they led him into a hall which was neglected, but still rather lovely, and there were a handful of knights, and a very beautiful young woman. The knights were not old exactly, but they were very gray and just worn down with trouble. And this young woman, though, had beautiful, beautiful golden hair and ivory skin, and Percival thought that he had never seen anyone so lovely. And they all greeted him, and he was taken to the table and seated beside the young woman. And as soon as he sat down next to her, everyone in the room looked at them and kind of whispered to themselves, oh, they look like they're made for each other. And she looked at Percival inquiringly, and he just sat there silently. And he didn't say a word. And finally, the young woman started the conversation. And she asked him, well, where did you lodge last night? And he told her about Gornemont, and she said, oh, I know Gornemont. He's actually my uncle, and he is a very fine man. And then the food was served, and it was a very simple meal, but they all shared it. And after they ate, Percival was given a comfortable bed, and he fell immediately asleep. But his beautiful young hostess tossed and turned and tossed and turned, and finally she decided to get up and go and tell this young knight some of her troubles. And she was afraid and and shaking as she walked down the hallway, and she was in tears, actually, by the time she reached his bed, and her crying woke him up. Please don't think badly of me for coming to you like this, she said. I'm here because I have some very serious troubles, and I need to tell someone. Um, You know, tomorrow, tomorrow, I'm going to kill myself. 
This was once a great castle, and a beautiful city defended by many fine knights. But we have been besieged for months now by the knight Angungaren, who is the steward of King Clamido. And Clamido, unfortunately, wants me to marry him, and, well, I would rather die. And now, look at what's happened. They've So many people have died on my behalf that, well, I definitely cannot allow them to take me prisoner after all of the suffering that's been caused. Now, Percival, he put his arms around her and he said, Oh, there, there now, stop crying, it's okay, and just lay down here next to me and I'll take care of you. So she laid down and he put his arms around her and he kissed her and they fell asleep very chastely. And in the morning she got up and slipped away and got dressed. And when he came into the hall, she met him and she said, well, it's time for you to go. And thank you for your kindness. And uh, I wish you well. And Percival said, well, dear lady, I am not going until I bring peace to your country. If I go and kill this night Engengaren, will you give me your love? That is the only reward that I will need. Oh, she said, don't ask me for my love so that you can go and die for me, for God's sake. You're young. You're inexperienced. You can't defeat this knight. He is one of the most famous knights in the world. Don't waste your life here. Oh, we'll see said Percival, and you cannot discourage me. And the young woman, actually, she was secretly glad because she had been hoping that he would do this and that what she would say would inspire him. And so he put on his armor and his weapons, and the people prayed for him as he rode out the gate to meet the knight Angungaren. The enemy was camped in tents out on the far side of the clearing, and they were in a jubilant mood, very sure of their victory. Almost everybody had been killed, anybody who could fight, that is, and the few who were left were so weak from hunger for the, from the siege. They were milling around outside when they saw this young knight, and they called out to their leader. Well, when Angungaren saw him, he gathered his weapons and he galloped out on his big, strong war horse. And when they faced each other, he said, well, so who sent you? Do you want peace or a fight? Why have you ruined these lands? Percival asked him. Well, my lord wants the girl, and it's already taken much longer than it should. The other one replied very arrogantly, so be on your way. Well, I think not, said Percival. I think it's time for you to pack up your tents and go home. And he set his lance. And without further words, the two knights started fighting, clashing and striking and whirling, as fierce as a pair of boars, until both of their lances were shattered. Well, Angungaren was wounded, and he had fallen down off of his horse. And so Percival got down and pulled his sword and the fight continued until Angungaren fell to the ground. I beg you, he said, don't kill me. If you keep me alive, then I will spread the story of your honor and glory everywhere. 
and I will serve anyone you assign me to. Percival had his sword raised, but he remembered Gornamon's advice. Okay, he said, I will let you live, and you will do as I say. At first, I want you to go to the beautiful young woman that I love and put yourself in her hands. The lady of the castle that you have besieged. Oh, then you might as well kill me, said Angongaren, because she'll kill me for sure. I mean, I killed her father. So then Percival thought of Gornamont, and he described that castle. And he said, okay, I want you to go to the nobleman Gornamont. Oh, he'll kill me too, said the knight, because I just killed his brother. So I guess just just go ahead and kill me yourself. Apparently there's no other way. But then Percival thought of King Arthur. Go to King Arthur, he said, and the girl that Sir Kay slapped and serve her faithfully. Well, now the siege was over. And the enemy dispersed. Angongaren left for King Arthur's court, and the people cheered when Percival arrived back at the castle. But they didn't really understand why he didn't kill the enemy, or at least take him captive. It's honorable to show mercy, Percival told them, and so I sent him to King Arthur. And when he saw his beloved, she kissed him, and led him off to rest in her private apartment. Unfortunately, Clamido, the king, he was on his way to the castle because he was expecting victory. He thought Angongaren would have the job done by now. and But he met some of his men on the road and learned ah, of the disastrous defeat of his knight. What's the name of this, this knight, the, red, the one in the red armor, he asked, but no one knew. They could only describe the armor. It's time to go home, they told him. But Clamido was a great knight himself. In fact, he had never been beaten. And his master of arms reminded him that everybody there was really weak from hunger, and so they went on. When they came into the site of Blanche Flor's castle, and that's the name of the young woman, Blanche Flower, White Flower, a strange thing happened. A really strong wind came up, and it blew a merchant ship that was laden with food into the harbor by the castle. And all of the people ran outside and met the travelers and bought their goods, and so now Clamadu knew that he wasn't going to be able to count on them being hungry from the siege. So he decided that he would challenge the unknown knight in red armor to a duel. He sent his message, and it was agreed that they would fight the next morning. And everyone begged Percival not to fight. Because we can rally behind you now, they said. There's no reason for you to do by it yourself. But he was determined. And they met in the field. And without a word, they set their lances. And it was a very long battle. But at last, Clamido begged for mercy, just like Angogaren before him. And again, there was no place to send him other than King Arthur's court. And Clamido was ordered to release all of the prisoners from Blanche Flower's kingdom and then follow the hoofprints 
of his steward, Angogarin, to King Arthur. This he did. When he arrived, the court was in session, and he was still dressed in his blood-splattered armor. And he told the story of this knight in red armor who had defeated him. It pains me to admit it, he told the king, but I was beaten in battle, and I was ordered to surrender myself to you. And they all marveled over this unknown knight in the red armor. Meanwhile, Percival and Blanche Fleur and the townspeople and all the returning prisoners, everybody was celebrating and rejoicing. It was a very happy day there. Harmony had been restored. And Percival loved his lady deeply, and she was devoted to him. And they spent a few happy days together, but his heart was terribly torn because he couldn't stop thinking about his mother. Blanchefleur begged him to stay, but he had to go home. I promise you that I will return, he said, and if my mother still lives, I'll bring her back here to live with us. But I have to know what happened. I cannot abandon her. Well, his lovely lady was angry and sad, and so were the townspeople. They begged him not to go. But Percival got on his horse with his armor and his weapons and rode off into the woods alone. Well, a lot of interesting things have happened here to this young man, things that are very important parts of any quest that is the development of the self and the development of the understanding of what it is that we're looking for. He met a mentor, a teacher, somebody who could help him understand more about the execution of his desire. And then he was presented by a real-life test, which is what life does after all, isn't it? Percival has gone from being a foolish kid pulling on a male shirt going, hey, were you born with this? To someone who is skillful in the arts of knighthood and not only skillful at the fighting part, but also willing to follow the code of honor that Gornemont imparted to him. I kind of wonder though, don't you, is, is being a knight really the be-all and end-all for Percival, for a young man with these abilities. In the part one, I said that I'd like to make a distinction between questing and the hero's journey and the heroic, as we have normally come to understand it. And the distinction I was making is that questing seems to me to be a matter of receptivity and following rather than forcing. You notice that all of these important players that Percival met here in part two, that were so instrumental to his development as a person, as a man, and as a knight, Gornemont and Blanche Fleur, those were not people he was looking for. Those were not people that he knew that he needed to meet. And yet those opportunities showed up for him. That's something called destiny. Now, I want to close with a quote that I found from uh, Joseph Campbell. This is from his book, Pathways to Bliss, that speaks to this notion of questing 
and questing as a journey in consciousness, which is another thing I said something about in part one. Quote, what is it we are questing for? It is the fulfillment of that which is potential in each of us. Questing for it is not an ego trip. It is an adventure to bring into fulfillment your gift to the world, which is yourself. There is nothing you can do that's more important than being fulfilled. You become a sign. You become a signal, transparent to transcendence. In this way you will find, live, become a realization of your own personal myth. End quote. Okay, well, we'll stop there. That's it for me, Catherine Savela, and Myth in the Mojave for this week. If you have questions about today's program or mythology in general, you can find Myth in the Mojave on Facebook. You can also contact me through my website, mythicmojo.com. Next week, I will be telling you the last part, part three, of the story of Percival and his quest for the Grail. I'd like to give special thanks to Travis Rosenberg for my theme music, to Steve Arbio for his help in bringing this program to you, and to you, of course, for listening. Please tune in next week. And in the meantime, happy myth-making, and keep the mystery in your life alive.